In the name of Jesus, amen. Some time ago, I saw a little guy running around in a t-shirt that said, this kid runs on chicken nuggets. (laughs) Since a member of my household would, at least at the time, have fit pretty well in a shirt like that, chicken nuggets serving as the foundation of his food pyramid, I immediately understood the sentiment. Uh, There's a whole genre of those kinds of shirts you've probably seen around. Uh, This guy runs on tacos and tequila. This body powered by butter. A mug that reads simply, this mom fueled by coffee, chaos, and cuss words. If you want more, Google will direct you to a bevy of Etsy shops where you can get those and a whole bunch of other more colorful versions of this body, this person fueled by X or Y or or Z. What had me thinking about that t-shirt and that little guy this week was Jesus, particularly Jesus and what he has to say in John chapter 15. Part of the long speech he delivered to his disciples just the day before he was crucified. They're familiar words, one of the great I am sayings in there from from John's gospel. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. You don't have to be that familiar with the ins and outs of viticulture to get the metaphor. It's a what fuels you, what powers you, what energizes you kind of thing. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he's making a statement about the kinds of juices Jesus and his Father want to fuel and power us. And just like last week, When Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, made us immediately realize there are plenty of bad shepherds. When Jesus says, here, I am the true vine. He says that knowing there are lots of fake vines. Vines that won't last. Vines aflow with faulty fuels that deliver juices and sustenance that'll do you worse than a diet of only chicken nuggets. And so, Jesus and this true vine business, it's the kind of word that makes me ask, what's my vine? My juice. And what's yours? Well, what powers you, energizes? What is it that fuels you? I've actually been asked that exact question. It was maybe Eight years or so ago, just your, uh, a couple years after beginning at the pastor here, I was at a Panera. I must have been engaged in something particularly holy. <laughs> because someone came up and asked, are you a pastor? Actually conf- I just completed a Bible study that morning. He'd done the same. And it turns out, anyway, that this guy, he's some sort of pastoral guru. One of the things he does, I can't remember the organization he was a part of, but it's a kind of mentor uh, young pastors. He must have thought I was young at the time. And so he asked if maybe we could get together after the Bible study next week, and and we did. A little chit-chat, and then at just the right moment, he'd done this before, you could tell. He kind of leaned in, and he said, now tell me, Ben, what is it that fuels you? (laughs) Thought it a kind of odd question, at least perhaps a little too personal from someone I'd met about 10 minutes before. And, and so I, I didn't say anything, which gave him a chance to rephrase the question. He says, what is it, Ben, that gets you out of bed in the morning? 
And there, instead of being honest, I went for funny and said, well, you know my alarm clock. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, sometimes a kid's sitting on my head, and once in a while I get kicked. It gets me out of bed. I think you kind of left it at that, but if I had wanted to be truly honest, what would I have said? Well, what would you have said? When the guy leans in all serious-like and says, what fuels you? What is it that motivates you really to do whatever you do as you're doing life? If you wanted to peel away all the funny and Jesus lingo, what's your vine? What's flowing through it? And we could probably think of a bunch of things. Probably different by the moment. But how about fear? Fear. That's a pretty ubiquitous fuel. I'm pretty certain that if instead of going for funny, we went for biting honesty, there'd be quite a market for a this guy, gal, kid runs on fear genre of t-shirt. This dad runs on tacos, tequila, and sheer terror that he'll fail to produce and provide. This kid fueled by chicken nuggets and paralyzing dread that she'll let her parents down. This mom powered by coffee, chaos, cuss words, and a swelling anxiety that she's failed her children and will never measure up. And what else? How many Etsy shops and closets could we fill with those shirts? A bunch. Because name your fear, and for many of us, we've named our fuel. <laughs> In fact, speaking of fear, you, you, might, you might take a look at the rest of those words from, from Jesus and find just more reason for dread. All that business about the fruitless branches drying up, gathered up, and tossed into the fire. You might think, well, son of a gun, Jesus. As if the prospect of being exposed as a rudderless, insecure, failing fake isn't horror enough, now you're scaring me out of bed by telling me to produce fruit or burn. As if I needed more fear for fuel. Which would be a real concern. And a scary one at that. But for the fact that Jesus didn't say that. But for the fact that these words to Jesus' disciples then and now, all of whom had and have plenty to fear, without Jesus piling on, Jesus does not tell them to produce or burn, to produce fruit or else. Oh, okay, he does talk about fruit and how God will get his fruit and how that usually means some pruning and God cutting stuff away from us. But you can look close. Nowhere in there does Jesus tell disciples to do or produce anything at all. To those whose fueling fears have to do with the exposure and shame of failing to do and be a boatload of things to great gospel relief. Jesus has not a thing to do. And if you tell me, looking close, well, he does say, abide in my love. Well, if you hear that as a thing to do, that's just because you're a big dummy. 
so used to being scared into action that you find things to be afraid of even when they're not there. Abide in my love. It's not something to do. It's as far away from something to do as you can get. Abide in my love. Let's just sit there and do nothing and bask in it word. In fact, that word abide, it's based on a Greek word that means home or your dwelling place. Abide in my love. That's make your home. Make, make my love your dwelling place. Settle into this place where there's nothing to fail at. There's nothing to do, nothing to earn. Come on in, put your feet up, help yourself to whatever's in the cabinet. Turn on the water and bathe in my love. Abide in my love. Let that be your fuel. I am the true vine, says Jesus. I know you've got all these other options. But here, child, is the one that will sustain my love. The knowledge that the most important thing about you is that I love you. Plenty of fuels. Fear near the top of the list. They'll get you out of bed in the morning. Probably get you clunking along well enough for a bit. But the trust, the assurance that before all the well-dones and after all the you-failed's, and there'll always be more of the latter, before and after any of that, you are Jesus' beloved. Now that's a fuel that'll have you humming into kingdom come. It's the fuel you're made for. It's the fuel that's, that's made for us. In fact, I think if you were to think back at a time in your life and say, man, I was really humming then. I felt so alive and full. Maybe even wanted to get out of bed in the morning. I can almost guarantee that that had something to do with someone or someones who were at that time for you embodiments of the selfless, no matter what love, which is ours perfectly, only in Jesus. You know, you're thinking, thinking of this and searching around for an example. I heard someone talking about an interview they'd read with of uh, none less than Justin Bieber. <laughs> now, I know I mentioned Justin Bieber in last week's sermon, and if it, it turns out to be three weeks in a row that Bieber gets mentioned, it may be time for an intervention. <laughs> but bear with me here. It appears that Justin Bieber is running on the Jesus juice these days. Now, I can't say that I'm a fan or that I know any of his songs other than the one I mentioned briefly last week. And in fact, until very recently, I would have thought of him mostly as a world-class tool <laughs> and a poster boy for all that is wrong with the world. But then I read this stinking interview. This dude talks as one absolutely smitten by the Lord Jesus. He's open about all these things that that used to drive him and sometimes still do, the fears of letting a bunch of people down and all that. He confesses all the hurtful and stupid stuff he did, which put him in the news and made people like me self-righteously shake their heads at him. How back then all these people actually loved him telling him how messed up he was. And that if he didn't shape up and do X, Y, and Z, he was going to be dead. Probably be true, because fame like his at that age almost always is, or very often is a death sentence. But then something happened. 
that brought him back. Two things actually he says. He says, two things saved me, my marriage and my faith. And he says specifically, uh, uh, the thing about both those things, what they had in common that saved him was this. He said, key was that neither of them depended on me performing in exchange for money or anything else. Depended on him not having to do a thing. The relationships that changed him were not the ones who said, do this or else, but the ones who said, I love you no matter what. He talks about this pastor, uh, Judah Smith, a guy, someone he'd known, his family known since he was like 15, kind of kept on and off contact with him. But then when things were really swirling out of hand, and he's forced to reach out for help, it dawned on him, he said, that this Smith guy was the only person in all those years who had never asked him for anything. You can imagine being Justin Bieber. People are asking you stuff all the time, money, tickets, whatever. This guy never asked him for anything. He says that guy was the embodiment of Jesus for him. And that's when it began to change. Being loved like that with a love that asks nothing in return. Now this fruit, you can read about it, the things that changes in his life. Plugged into the vine, Jesus, which loves and forgives all. Demands nothing, but changes everything. So I encourage you to go home and read all about Justin Bieber. The interview is in GQ magazine, so you can also get some uh, um, tips on where you can find $1,100 sweatpants and $129 socks, just like his. But most importantly, you get a story about how love that demands nothing changes everything. And a guy being fueled by the love of Jesus. which is the same love that is for you. Jesus' love for you. Abide in his love. The worst that could possibly happen, the most shameful sin you're wrapped up, wrapped up in, the most embarrassing failure, whatever you fear most, it is wrapped in his love. In love with you, he died for you and rose again to keep on loving you to kingdom come. Relax in that love. Put on your new beautiful shirt tailored just for you that says this child is powered by a love that is stronger than death. Abide in his love. He knows you're tired. Swim around in it. He knows you're scared. Put your feet up. He knows you're hungry. Help yourself to whatever's in the cabinet. Make yourself at home in the good news that the most important thing about you is that you are God's beloved. Father, fuel us with your love. For you are the vine, and we are the branches. Amen.